Today we're going to be in Luke 18. Well, the last time we saw the widely known story in the Bible of the rich young ruler and his willingness to be blinded by riches. Today we're going to see the lives of two vastly different men and how the Lord becomes their juncture. Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus, also both blind, one spiritually and one physically. We will see through how through the Lord they both received their sight in contraposition to the rich young ruler. So we're going to start in verse 35. It says, Then it happened that as he was coming near Jericho, that a certain blind man sat by the road begging. His name was Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus. Timaeus meaning highly prized. But you wouldn't know that looking at this man's present condition. It wouldn't be an uncommon sight for the blind, pardon the pun, and also the poor and the disabled to be by the roadways begging. They would have to rely on the mercy and the compassion of others during their commerce to sustain a living. Verse 36, And hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. By this time, Jesus' popularity is such that he can't go anywhere without being thronged by people without the multitudes, the crowds. What's more amazing is when you realize that Jesus didn't have to advertise himself. He didn't do TV ads or mail-outs or door hangers or ads in the paper. And what we're going to see here, um, another theme, is a lot, of good, uh, a, little, a lot of good models for ministry. This is one of them. If it's of the Lord, I don't think there's any need to advertise. His word, his Holy Spirit will give the increase. I received a suggestion from somebody, you know, a good brother in the Lord, saying that one of the local cable stations are free advertising. Why don't we advertise the church? And I'm like, it's just not me. It's just not my vision. And I don't judge other people for doing that, but you know, I want people to come because they see something different in their neighbor or their coworker or their boss or a family member. And, and that's, that's what I'd like to see, uh, people being edified here, the Holy Spirit being here, and people to come because of that. Verse 37. So they told him that it was Jesus of Nazareth that was passing by. And he cried out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. When this man knew that it was Jesus passing by, he sprang into action. As opposed to the rich young ruler, this blind man has all his facts correct about who Jesus is. Jesus, in the Hebrew, Yehoshua, God is salvation. Ben David, son of David, which was a messianic title, promised king of Israel, have mercy on me. A different mercy than the people who would come by day by day and put a coin in his cup. Show a little compassion. Different type. Have mercy on my situation. As in, I know you're the only one who can correct and help my abject circumstances. What are those circumstances? For Bartimaeus, he was blind. He was poor. What about you? What is it in your life that you're saying, Lord, have mercy on me? And everybody has a story behind the two eyes that you see, and not everybody tells their story. Some people are struggling financially. Some people are struggling with relationships. Some people are struggling with health issues. What is it that you need to cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, have mercy on me, on my situation? We can help you as a church, as friends, as fellow Christians, but nothing in comparison to what the Lord can do for you. I was speaking to someone the other day, a good person, goes to another church. We were not 
it was actually a, um, a good conversation. We were talking about our, our respective churches, and the person was talking about their children's ministry, and they said, our, our objective is to get people to have the children on their level to have a relationship with the church. And, you know, again, maybe it was a, you know, I'm not trying to be critical of the word, but that's the way some people feel. We have to get these kids to, to adhere to the church, to adhere to the dom- denomination, to adhere to the doctrine, but it's not about that. Your relation to Christ is far more beneficial than relationship to any church. Let's, con- let's contrast a little bit between uh, Bartimaeus and the rich young ruler. See, if you weren't here last Sunday, you're definitely at a loss because we're going to go back and forth. But the ruler was unsure about the deity of Christ. He wanted to work for salvation. He said, Lord, what must I do? He was focusing on himself, not what did Jesus do. What must I do to, to uh, inherit eternal life? Maybe he thought it could be inherited. Bartimaeus was not confused about the deity of Christ. He knew he could do nothing to help his own future, and he was begging to be accepted by the Lord. Wow. Rich, educated teacher on the one hand versus a lowly, poor, blind beggar. Who was really blind? There's some of the smartest men in the world, uh, men that make me look like an imbecile, you know, great professors, great physicists, biologists, and uh, they believe in evolution. They believe that given enough time, something like a piece of sea slime can become a human being. Well, I was studying a little bit on the brain uh, because I like to study uh, things like that in the human body because I'm really impressed with God's creation. Let me just tell you a little bit about a fraction of what the brain does. As you're looking at me, you're receiving electromagnetic waves into your eyes. And what's happening is it's, it's taking that and interpreting that into a digital signal that runs into your optic nerve and it's translated to the brain, thus you see. When you read the book, when you read the paper, as you're going through each line, you see pen strokes, you know, ink, and you look at it, and it makes letters and words, and it goes, again, through the optic nerve into the memory banks and says, hey, I know what that word is. And you start to put sentences together and learn things. As I'm speaking, I'm making noises with my tongue and my teeth and my cheeks, right? And you're hearing those noises and putting it together into your ear, And it sends a digital signal into the auditory nerve that goes into your brain. And your brain says, I know what those those noises mean. Those are words. And that's English. I know English. I know what he's saying. Depending on who you're sitting next to, certain smells come into your nose. You take those smells, right? It translates it into, again, another digital signal that runs through the olfactory nerve and into the brain, right? You like that one. Your your skin has uh, all these nerves that are sensing heat, cold, pressure, wind current, pain, whatever it is. And all these millions of signals are going into up the spinal cord and into the brain processing more signals. Your brain is composed into three basic parts, the cerebrum, the cerebellum, and the brainstem, which, which is also the medulla. The latter part of it controls your breathing right now. You don't have to tell yourself to breathe. You do it automatically. Your heart rate, your blood pressure. The cerebellum controls your coordination and your balance. It keeps you sitting upright in that seat so you don't fall over. Why? Because it tells all the different muscle groups, move the leg this way, move the arm this way, without you realizing and it keeps you upright. The cerebrum, uh, there's 100 billion nerves, neuron cells in the brain, which make 100 trillion synapses, 
which just means the end of one nerve, uh, the uh, synaptic uh, knobs of the end of the axon on one nerve touch the, the cell body, the dendrites on the other nerve, and, and there's these little spaces, microscopic spaces, and neurotransmitters pass in between that to bring the signal to, to each neuron. Each uh, nerve impulse can travel up to 270 miles an hour, zip, 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 zip through your brain, right? Are you going to tell me that we evolved? I mean, I could be up here all day long, you know what I'm saying? We haven't discussed maybe not even a 1% of all the systems in the body. You're going to tell me that you don't, there's not enough time in, the, in eternity for us to evolve into what we've become because God created us. It's an incredible design. So the point being, bringing it all back, is that who is really blind? You know, the title of this message is The Blind Sea. And we're going to see by the end of the message what true blindness is and what true sight is. Verse 39, he says, Then those who went before warned him that he should be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. This is reminiscent of people telling them, Shut up, be quiet. It reminds me of the disciples when they brought the little kids to Jesus and they, they, they shooed the people away. This is the master. You know, you can't bring these little kids here. It's not, it's not for them. Get, get out of here. And Jesus said, whoa, 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 don't do that. Bring the kids to me. Same thing with the beggars, you know. Um, people will do that. It's like, hey, get this guy. He's, he's got raggedy clothes. He's bumping into people. He's loud. Get him out of the way. You know, this is Jesus. We can't have this guy over here. But they were missing the point again. What if somebody poor came in here? What if somebody... Uh, you know, maybe is a little bit different from us? What if somebody with special needs? How would we react to that? James 2 says that it's wrong if we say to the rich person, come here, sit, have a great seat. And to the poor person, sit in the back. You know, sit, sit, you be my footstool. James says that we show partiality when we do that stuff. I remember a story which I love about Chuck Smith in the 60s, the, I guess you would call, for lack of a better word, the hippies, Right? And they would come in in their ripped jeans and uh, maybe didn't shower for a few days. And uh, they would come into the church barefoot. And the elders would put up these signs in his church that said, you know, you can't come into the church unless you have shoes. Because the oils and the dirt from their feet would ruin the carpets. And they'd have to keep ripping up the carpets. And Chuck Smith would keep coming and taking those signs down. He goes, I don't care if we have no carpets, let these people come. And a lot of the people, the hippies from the 60s, became... Well, some of them became pastors, right? So look what the effect that uh, Chuck Smith had by not turning away these people. But who was his model? It was Jesus. Don't turn these people away. We want them to come in here. We need to live out this point because all too often, in general, when I say this, church people become too socially comfortable. We have comforts. We like the heat a certain way. We like the lighting a certain way. We like a sound a certain way. But we also want to be socially comfortable. You know, we want to... There's certain people we might not want to sit next to. And we have to get over that. They told Bartimaeus to be quiet. Shut up. This is the master. Go away, beggar, blind beggar. Be quiet. I'm being edified. I want to hear the great theological nuggets that roll off the lips of Jesus. I don't want you to interrupt me. Sometimes people get lost in head knowledge and miss the point that Jesus was trying to make. Teach me, Lord, exegesis. Teach me hermeneutics. Teach me antinomianism or preterition. Lord, teach me the deep theological things that I, I'm craving in my, in my intelligence. 
But if you can't take the deep things of, of Scripture and process them into love for your God and love for others, you've missed the point of Jesus' teaching. As, as brilliant as Jesus was, as he was the Word of God, as he had all the answers, what did he do? What did he teach his disciples? He said, I'm now, I'm now going to wash your feet. The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve, to be a ransom for many. Love edifies, but knowledge puffs up. Regardless, this man was not about to keep quiet. He would rather face opposition than take the chance to let Jesus slip through his fingers. 40. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Jesus' earthly ministry was coming to an end. He was going to die soon. It wasn't long before he was going to the cross, and he knew it at this particular time. But he still wanted to help others. This is another great example for ministry, ministry examples, that to be a teacher or a leader in an ecclesiastic capacity, you must first do two things. One, you must love people. You must be involved with people. You must roll up your sleeves and give up your time and give up your love and give up your uh, parts of you and pour into people, love people. The second thing is serve. Again, the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. And this is where uh, one of the examples that I have for, uh, for, for an elder is that the person should have been serving in some capacity when I pray about uh, that, that position. But it's, you know, it could be Ushering, it could be home group leaders, could be children's ministry, board members, worship, book table, and so on and so forth. We even have a, a homeless ministry that the, the Holsheisers had prayed about and God put it on their heart to go to Trenton and give people clothing and Bibles. That's great. That's just really exciting to me. Whatever it is, uh, it's, just, it's just a servants. The more you grow in Christ, the more it's going to be put on your heart to serve, to do for others. And it doesn't necessarily have to be within the church. I would love to have a staff staffed with theologians, but more importantly, I would love to have a staff, I want to have a staff to, to be willing to love people, okay, and uh, to be willing to learn. Common complaint in the church, I've said this before, is uh, people say, well, the church just wants your money. But another common complaint is there's no love in the church. You know, I go to the church and I don't feel like a family. I go to the church and I don't feel, where's the love, you know what I'm saying? So that's another complaint. And then on the flip side, there's some people who are just critical about everything. They have a critical spirit. Every time they open their mouth and they talk about something, there's always criticism blended in with what they're saying. But Bartimaeus, back to Bartimaeus, he was really asking the Lord to change his life because the sight that he would receive would have a ripple effect on his whole life. Bartimaeus could now work. He could now support himself. He could possibly raise a family at this point. Maybe make an impact on the community Okay, because of the miracle that God wrought on him. So receiving spiritual sight can have an astounding effect on your life. And you can think of many examples of people who have become born again, who have changed, and they're different people now. I think about uh, between the two pastors here and the six elders, I think only two grew up as Christians, knew the Lord from, since they were little. The rest of us were a bunch of knuckleheads, and God had to get, a, get our attention later on in life. But, you know, look at the impact that it's having on the fellowship. You know, uh, six of us didn't know the Lord from birth, but the Lord changed our lives. He opened our eyes. He took the film away, 
and, uh, you know, look at the fruit from it. 42. Then Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has saved you. This is an important point uh, here because the disciples ask Jesus in a few services back. They say to Jesus, increase our faith. And you see that a lot today. Faith. It's all about faith. You have faith and faith. The more faith you have, you can do anything. It's almost like... Um, it's like the, the battery level on, a, on, a, on an appliance or something. The more charge you have, the more you can do with it. But Jesus said, no, not increase your faith, guys. It's not what you need. You can have faith as small as a mustard seed. It's what you put your faith in. If your faith is small as a mustard seed, you could remove the mulberry tree from its root. You can, you know, take the mountain and cast it into the sea. So it's what you put your faith in. But Bartimaeus exercised that faith. Hebrews 11.6 tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please him, to please, God, to please God. He that comes to God must first believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And I would say that Bartimaeus certainly diligently sought, sought the Lord. Now, there's uh, a doctrine that's out there, and every once in a while we're going to come through this stuff. You know, there's a doctrine that says that, Jesus only died for the elect, that John 3.16 doesn't mean what it says, and that everyone else is spiritually dead and they can't be revived. Uh, no matter how much they come to church, read the Bible, come up and receive the Lord, they're spiritually dead. And those people have been predestined to go to hell, no matter how much they ask the Lord for forgiveness of sins and want to come to him. Well, we don't believe that, obviously. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So the word of God is regenerative. When you, there's people that I know, and there's testimonies of people who, um, actually I was talking to a brother on Friday night, and he said he was an atheist, and he started reading the Bible. And the words just, he said, this, this has to be real. Just by reading the Bible, picking up a Bible and reading it, little by little, eventually the Lord got a hold of his heart. He, he got saved. Didn't need anybody else to do it. It was by the word of God. Uh, Romans 10:17 says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, whoever. And the way I can explain in my um, simple mind, the way I can explain the relationship, and people have that question. God is sovereign, and we believe that God is sovereign, and God elects, but man has free will. And how do the two reconcile? And uh, I've heard it said, and there was somebody famous who said that, that they're not enemies, they're friends. You know, e election and free will and choice, they, they can reconcile with each other. When I think about a, a lightning storm, I think about how there's the earth, the surface of the earth, and there's a charge on the surface of the earth, and then there's, you know, the, the atmosphere, and then there's storm clouds. And there's a, a difference in charge between the bottom of the storm clouds and the earth. And what happens is there's these things called strokes and leaders. One comes up from the ground, and one comes down from the storm cloud. And when they meet, all the full uh, electrical energy, the potential of energy, comes through, and it makes that connection. You know, the Lord, the Lord reaches out to us, and we reach out to him. Again, where it meets, I don't know. But the Bible is clear that there is choice. We do uh, choose the Lord. The Lord has commanded us to, to follow him, seek him, and choose him. But the Lord also seeks us out, and he draws us. So that's where you, you get those two coming together. But the bottom, the bottom line in the scripture is that Jesus always responds to faith. 43, and immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people when they saw it gave praise to God. Now let's just, again, this is the last uh, verse 
regarding Bartimaeus. Let's make some contrast between Bartimaeus and the rich young ruler. The blind man, Bartimaeus couldn't see, couldn't see physically, but he wasn't allowing physical obstacles to stop him from reaching the Lord. The ruler could see physically, but he allowed, he allowed obstacles to keep him from God. The blind man was poor, but became spiritually rich in Christ. The ruler was rich, but remained spiritually bankrupt. Where the rich young ruler couldn't bring himself to follow the Lord, at the Lord's request, the Lord was very clear with the ruler, said, come on, follow me. You know, he, he requested that. This man, Bartimaeus, sought the Lord without being asked. Bartimaeus received sight both physically and spiritually. And tradition says, whether it's true or not, I don't know. Tradition says that uh, Bartimaeus, when he received his sight, became an integral part of the early church. Obstacles. What are you allowing to be obstacles in your life? What is it that you will rearrange worship for or devotion time or fellowship for? And that's the key word, allow, allow. It's, it's really on us. If we're not close to the Lord, like that example with the couple, the elderly couple driving in the car, and uh, he, the man would always drive and the wife would sit next to him. They were always close. It was like a bench seat. He'd always have his arm around her. Over the years in the marriage, uh, she ended up by the door, okay? Little by little, they would move further apart. And she said, how come we're not close together anymore when we drive? And he goes, I'm still in the same position. But it's true. God is always in the same position. He's always there for us. If there is an obstacle, it's because we've allowed that obstacle to come between us and the Lord. Don't do it. Don't allow those obstacles. We hear these stories about the shepherds uh, who break the legs of the sheep because the sheep keep straying and they break the legs and they have to carry them everywhere and it builds that that bond again, uh, so that when the legs heal, the sheep hopefully will stay close to the shepherd. Don't do it, because you may get your legs broken. But uh, verse 19, or I'm sorry, chapter 19. The next account that we're going to go into is unique to Luke's gospel. Verse 1, it says, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Oddly enough, Zacchaeus means pure. Or righteous one but he lived his life anything but what his name meant we spoke of the tax collector uh, practices before uh, they would you know they would extort they would take what they needed for Rome and they would take extra for themselves so it was a very lucrative career by legal extortion now the fact that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector means that he was really rich he was the head guy uh, and he certainly was was wealthy but even worse uh, to, to pour more salt in the wound was that the Romans recruited Jewish people to become tax collectors. Matthew was a tax collector. And uh, what would happen was that would be such an offense to the nationalistic Jews of the time. They really hated these people because to them they were turncoats. What are you supposed to be with us? We're Jewish. You know, these pagans are, are oppressing us. How could you go over there? So they really despised these people. So to kind of set the stage a little bit. Verse 3. It says that, and he sought to see who Jesus was, but he could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. So this guy is short. Well, in a politically correct society, we would call him vertically challenged, okay? That makes you feel better. But he really wants to see Jesus, and he won't let his physical limitations prevent him. 
The sad thing is that there was people in biblical times and even today in hostile areas of the world to Christianity who overcome insurmountable odds to seek the Lord. But unfortunately, I guess here, because things are so comfortable and things are so readily available, we think that we have a lot of time. I think that's where Satan works in this country. He makes us think that we have time. Ah, the material is always there. You could always get a Bible. You know, when you get older and, and you retire, maybe you could become a Christian. There's all these things that Satan lies to people and tells them there's plenty of time. And that's what I think is the downfall here. But, I mean, I talk to many missionaries and people uh, in Asia and Africa and, believe it or not, in Iran, people are coming to the Lord in droves by the thousands, right? Why isn't it happening here? The other thing, the second thing is this guy was rich, this uh, Zacchaeus. He had all the money, he had all the things that money could buy, but there was still a void in his heart. And you know what? That void in your heart, people have said, somebody coined the phrase that there's a God-shaped vacuum in our heart. And it can't be filled with wealth or possessions. As Marty would say, his famous expression is, you can't put a square peg in a round hole. It just doesn't fit. It doesn't right. It's not right. You have to put a square peg in a square hole, round peg in a round hole. It's like those toys, you know. But the, the hole, that's that vacuum, can't be, nothing else can go in there. It doesn't fit. It doesn't satisfy the void. The only thing that satisfies the void is the Lord himself. And the third thing is, it was unusual in that culture for a man of dignity. Remember, he was despised by the common people, Zacchaeus, but he was a public figure. Uh, you know, high status government official. It was unusual for a man of dignity in that culture to run. They wouldn't run. It would be beneath them to run. It was out of character for the father and the prodigal son to run, but he did, to greet his son. And it was also out of character for Zacchaeus to run after Jesus, but he did. He sought the Lord. Zacchaeus did the right thing. He sought Jesus. The question is, how bad do you want eternal life? You know, how important is that to you? Paul said that we be, we've become fools for Christ. Some people say, well, you know, I don't want to be thought of as a, a Bible thumper or a, a Jesus freak or, you know, I just want to kind of be cool with the whole Bible thing and kind of get into it slowly. I don't want to be made a fool of. But is there anything that we do in our society where we make fools of ourselves? We do it all the time. I know I do it. Uh, I think about what's going on with the, the whole thing with PlayStation 3, right? <laughs> Everybody wants a PlayStation 3, and, and the company has not given really enough of them, so people are waiting in line. Uh, people actually pitch tents. They have sleeping bags outside of these stores for days to be the first one to get in there to get a PlayStation 3. I read a report of one guy was already shot. I mean, people have beaten each other up just to get this stupid game that in a year or so is going to be obsolete, right? So we make fools of ourselves as human beings for so many things, but people, oh, to be a fool for Christ, now that's just, that's beneath me. Well, how so, you know? How so? Verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. For today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all murmured, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Jesus was emphatic. He said, I must stay at your house. Zacchaeus was ripe for the picking, and the Lord knew it. It was that thing. Zacchaeus ran up the tree to see Jesus. Something about Jesus, his words. Zacchaeus, boom, he scurried right up that tree to see him. And Jesus called him down. It's, again, it's that nexus between calling us 
and us seeking him, right? So that the whole lightning thing over again. But the interesting thing is that um, Jericho, the area of Jericho, look at the Old Testament. It was, a, it was a home for the sons of the prophets. There was a lot of like, schools of people who, who really sought the Lord there. A lot of religious people, a lot of priests. And Jesus went through Jericho. No, no, not that priest, not that religious leader. That guy, I want him, Zacchaeus. I'll take that guy, right? So he was ripe for the picking. Just as some people hearing this message today, 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, now is the accepted time, now is the day of salvation. You've waited long enough. Maybe some people who are listening to this are going to say, man, that really is touching my heart. I really want the Lord. I really want him. So don't wait. Don't wait any longer. You know, the Lord is here for you. And then the other part of the equation was, of course, uh, there was the negativity of the crowd. The gossip mill was at full throttle. People were disgusted that a rabbi would defile himself eating with that type of sleaze in their minds. The key is, he was no good. How could Jesus eat at that guy's house? That's just... That's just awful. What an example. You know, that's stumbling. I mean, I could imagine all the things that they said about Jesus eating at Zacchaeus' house, right? But that doesn't happen in Christian circles and churches, does it? No, none of that happens. I was talking to a, a brother a few Sundays ago. He was talking about a church that he had gone to, and it got to the point where they became exclusive. People who weren't like them. They didn't want them to come in. Maybe the, the biker types or the people who didn't speak English that well or the, the people in the new development. You know, we, we don't want those people at our church. We, you know, we're exclusionary. We like what we have here. And what's amazing is I don't think I'm naive. I've been a cop for 15 years and I've seen the worst of humanity. But I guess when it comes to the Christian uh, culture, I want to believe better of it. Unfortunately, uh, there's just a lot of stuff in there that's just not pretty. You know, I want to believe better of Christians, that they're always accepting, that they always, uh, you know, look at other people who are not like themselves and, and say that's a good thing, the diversity. But unfortunately, that's not always the case, and it wasn't the case here. You know, Jesus should have told this guy to get out of his presence. You know, don't, don't defile me, don't touch me, right? But that's not what Jesus did. Verse 8, it says, Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Why the change of heart of Zacchaeus? Well, it could be a myriad of reasons. Number one, no doubt the Holy Spirit was drawing him. I have no doubt in my mind that that was the case. He was being drawn by, the, by God, and he responded to that call. Second reason is no doubt that something that Jesus said made a, different in, a difference in his heart, the Word of God. And three, the fact that Jesus chose him as an individual and bore the public reproach from the rest of the people for his decision to eat with Zacchaeus, right? So what do we have here? We have the Holy Spirit, we have the Word of God, and we have the love of God. Now that's a recipe for success and another great formula for ministry. Uh, we, as a church, you know, we, we budget different things. Uh, you know, we, we have to set aside how we're going to expenditures and all that other kind of stuff. And... Uh, our biggest category for expenditures is Bibles and missions. And that's my heart as a senior pastor. Not, you know, we're looking for a building, but, you know, it's not, it, that's going to be God, especially in this area. It's, it's hard. It's a hard thing. But the biggest thing in my heart as a senior pastor is, number one, unlimited Bibles, whether it's the homeless outreach 
or the prison ministry or whatever. Come to the office. <laughs> Sherry's going to get upset with me and raid the office. We need 20 Bibles. We need 30 Bibles. We, I don't care if we spend $10,000 a year on Bibles. To me, the word of God needs to go out. You want to start your own ministry, maybe a college ministry, you go ahead and do it. You want to go to a, a colleges and you need some cases of Bible, come to the office, take the Bibles. So to me, I, it's unlimited as far as I'm concerned. And missions, my heart and my vision as a senior pastor is to see, and we support missions, you know, missionaries, and, uh, but my heart is to see people from our own body, whether young people or older people, to get raised up and say, I want to go to Mexico. The Lord's leading me to Asia. The Lord's leading me here. Let me tell you something. If finances are a hindrance to you, don't let that be. Come and talk to us. If you want to go somewhere else and give the word of God and spread the love of God, you come to us and we'll help you. So that's my heart. Thank you. I got a sip of water out of that one. But... <laughs> So let's go back to the story. The laws of restitution, okay? Zacchaeus now wants to restore what he took. He wants to restore anyone he's ripped off and so on and so forth. The laws of restitution go back to the Old Testament. If you're taking notes, Leviticus 5, Leviticus 6, Numbers 5. Normally, theft, if you stole something from somebody, the return or the restitution was you would return 100% of what you stole and then you would add 20%. That's just how it comes out in the scripture. So that would be, I guess, your penalty. You'd give whatever you stole, whatever it is, you'd give it back, and you would add 20%. In certain circumstances, in Exodus 22, it was a 4 to 500% that you would have to restore, depending on the item that you stole. So it was, it was a pretty heavy hit. But Zacchaeus here, now, he just comes out with this because his heart is moved. He says, he doesn't give the minimum amount. He doesn't go, well, all right, I'll give back plus the 20%. He's willing to offer the 400% restitution, and he also is willing to give 50% of his wealth to the poor. Now, what's amazing about that is nobody asked him to do that. Remember the rich young ruler? He was asked, and you know, he, Jesus knew that that was a stumbling block, you know, that obstacle to the rich young ruler, and he just he didn't even try to work out a deal with Jesus. Well, how about I give some of it? He just went away. He was depressed. But Zacchaeus, without being asked, says, I'm going to give 50% of, of my wealth and I'm going to restore fourfold. That's pretty amazing. If you do the calculations, if you do the calculations depending on how many people he ripped off, which probably was a lot, he could have been left with as little as a quarter percent of what he once had. For a man of his stature, that's definitely humiliating, but he did it to himself. See? That's where his heart was. His works followed his faith. Faith saves but faith without works is dead, James tells us. Again, do the math on what this guy was offering. No doubt that after hearing that, a bunch of people, the word was going to spread, and everybody was going to be knocking on his door and said, hey, pay up what you owe me, right? So no doubt that that was happening, but he didn't care. Again, contrast this with the rich young ruler. Uh, you got a, a sleazy rip-off artist versus an upstanding member of society, but who was justified before God? It goes to show you, people, that we can't, be impressed with people's status. You know, you, you look at people, you meet people, and some people are very impressive. They, has a, they have a charisma about themselves. But you don't know anything about their lives. You know, people follow certain authors and certain uh, public people, and uh, you know what? One day you may find out that they didn't make it. And would you put all that energy in for it, to follow these people? Verse 9. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, 
because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. God is actively seeking to save the lost, and he's also actively seeking to change their status. Bartimaeus, let's go back to what the names mean, Bartimaeus. It means son of highly prized, right? This was a blind beggar, not prized by anyone until his encounter with the Lord. But once he, was, you know, once he met the Lord, his life changed. He, become, he became the son of the highly prized, really meaning the highly prized being God. He became a son of God. He was adopted into the family of God, right? Uh, John 1, 12 through 20, or, or sorry, John 1, 12 through 13. Zacchaeus, his name meant pure or righteous one. He was anything but pure and righteous until he came into contact with the Lord. And then he became pure and righteous through the Lord. A few things about this. One, I, I like simple analogies. Uh, Jesus used them, so I'll, I'll modernize them a little bit. Uh, to me, I look at us as before the Lord, we're like filthy clothes, and God is the washing machine. You put the filthy clothes into the washing machine, and through him, we shine our brightest. Two, God sees us as the finished product. God believes in us when we often don't. And let me tell you something. Uh, I don't care how somebody comes off in a presentation, people have insecurities. <laughs> I mean, if, if, they, if they're honest with you and you really get down and you talk to them, people have insecurities. And sometimes the people who are the most successful have the most insecurities because they're driven, you know, but baggage in the past, all that kind of stuff. But you know what? God believes in us when we often don't believe in ourselves. And three, only through the power of God can you take two men at the opposite ends of the spectrum and bring them together as brothers. These guys, how many times is it possible that Zacchaeus may have passed Barnabas? Think about that. It's very possible. Bartimaeus is begging, begging Zacchaeus. Maybe he was a cheapskate. Maybe he passed Bartimaeus didn't even put anything in his cup. Well, he's blind. He won't know. No one else is around. I'm just going to keep going, right? But now these two guys are brothers, right? They're, they're, they've been joined together because of the Lord. And look around you today. There's going to be people that you're going to see from all walks of life. I, I just love the diversity here. The more I get to know you as a body, the more I get to know people, what you do for a living, you know, how you were brought up, where you come from. Uh, it's kind of cool because it's a, there's a cross-section here in this church, and I think that's a great thing. But in summation, we can't talk about blindness until we talk about the organ that helps us see, and we spoke a little bit about that, the eye. It's a light-sensitive organ that can distinguish details in the following, color, depth, movement, brightness, and shape. And its function is to translate, like I said before, electromagnetic vibrations in a visible light pattern into nerve impulses that are transmitted through the brain via the optic nerve. Without that organ, you can't see. If, you, if both eyes are, are no good, you just can't see, you're blind. But there's also an application in Scripture to the spiritual realm. If you're taking notes, 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4. The gospel saves. And if someone is, is blinded to the gospel, it's because Satan is actively trying to blind them. He's putting a film over their eyes, much like cataracts. Little by little by little, you know, you see it's fuzzy, it's fuzzy, and then eventually you can't see it all. And Satan blinds people. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4. And there's people, no doubt, definitely walking around in spiritual darkness who think that they can see, which is even sadder. I want to read one more scripture, and then I'm gonna, uh, we're going we're gonna to close. John chapter 9, verse 35. John 9, verse 35. 
In this instance, Jesus just gets done healing a blind man. And there's a lot of controversy with the religious leaders over that. Many of you are probably familiar with the story. But let me just read, starting with verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? So this man gets cast out of the synagogue because he's you know, speaking about Jesus. And of course, the religious leaders are at odds with him. And they're trying to really... Uh, interrogate him and his parents to see if he really was healed, if he was born blind or he was faking it, the whole deal. So he gets thrown out of, of the synagogue. And Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said, you have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may be made blind. That's an interesting statement there. Verse 40, it says, And some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remains. So you have this play on words with sight. You have people who were blind and you know, just didn't know. And the Lord opened their eyes and they received. Then you had people who say, we're not blind, we see in a spiritual realm. But he said to them, because you say you see and you haven't accepted the Messiah, you haven't accepted the Lord's uh, sacrifice, you haven't accepted God and reconciliation with him, you haven't given up your idols, then you're blind and you'll be punished for that. So with spiritual sight and awareness comes responsibility. There's no excuse in the judgment. And if I could say this, Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus will be your judges. They will say, listen, we were both blind in different ways, but we knew enough to choose Christ. You can see or claim to see, but you're spiritually dead. So there you have it. So if you're blind to who he really is, don't be anymore. And if you're starting to see more clearly, as that one miracle that Jesus did, he, 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 did the, he helped the guy to see, and he said, I see men walking like trees. And then Jesus did it again, and he said, now I can see clearly. So if the film is starting to be lifted off your eyes and you're starting to see clearly after this passage of Scripture, don't stop all the way. Go all the way and be in fellowship with both Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus, brothers now, and many more who have gone before you. Let's pray. Enough to